welcome to a Christmas edition of the Championship Roundtable podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at Championship Pod, and you can follow my personal Twitter at underscore James Vickers, where I mainly tweet about Preston and Borussia Dortmund. Hi, I'm Russ Goldman. I am the host of Cottage Talk, a podcast all about Fulham Football Club. You can follow me on Twitter at Russ underscore Goldman, and also at the Twitter account for the show, Cottage Talk. Hello, uh, my name is Louis Shackshaft. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. It's just my name, at Louis Shackshaft. I do a lot of writing, blogging, um, all about Sheffield Wednesday. I'm pretty big on Sheffield Wednesday statistics also. Uh, you can visit my website, which is louisshackshaft.com. Uh, and I'm pleased to be here for the Christmas special. <laughs> yeah, cheers for joining me today, guys. I'm uh, currently sat in my Christmas jumper, which I've realised <laughs> is got a lot more itchier than last year. So I'll... Um, it needs a I'll wash, that's to... all it is, James. It needs a wash. <laughs> I, I realise yeah, no. that's what's happened with mine. I, I think it just, uh, you know, I need a bit of uh, aerial liquid on there and then it should be all right. <laughs> yeah, it's been hung up in the wardrobe for a year, so it, it probably does. I've pulled it out for the first time today, so I think straight after this I'm going to get it in the wash and then it's uh, it's ready for the weekend then. Um, the, the first thing I wanted to talk about today, obviously, um, since the show last week, the sort of long-running saga of Willy Wonty, uh, Chien Lee taking over at Barnsley has, has finally gone through. Um, I just wanted to get both of your opinions on this. Um, obviously, Barnsley fans, you know, I'm not going to make the pun of their Christmas has come early, um, but obviously quite a lot of excitement around it. But as we've seen in the past with teams like Birmingham, uh, as a good example, with them being bottom of the table at the moment, you know, it's, it's not always sort of automatic promotion when a sort of a billionaire owner comes in. Um, what are your guys' opinions on it? And uh, how do you see it going specifically for Barnsley? Okay, well, I'll start and I'll say that I actually watched the uh, presser just a little short while ago and uh it was interesting because uh in the presser uh someone was talking I, I don't remember the name of the gentleman but he was just talking about their ownership of nice and comparing to what they've done at nice that they plan on doing something similar with barnsley uh and they talked about january that that they're going to do something in january but they're going to be basically fiscally responsible they kept talking about financially that they're not going to go crazy that they're going to be responsible but they're going to do things with with the club to basically get as much money into the club i it sounds like to me with marketing and and, uh, and endorsements and all kinds of different things to bring more money into barnsley so they're talking a good game uh, that's what i got from it you know again they were using nice as the model that they want to use for barnsley my only thought on that is that you're talking about different types of leagues, different types of cities. I don't know if it's if you can just look at Nice and say we can do that at Barnsley, but we'll see. Uh, and uh, for their sake, I hope it works. Uh, and I think their first plan of attack is, is to stay in the league and then work from that point on. That's just my thought. So it, it's all good right now. It, it's, it's a stabilizing situation, James and Louis, but... They need now. Now that this is done, concentrate on staying in the league. I agree. Yeah, um, I think first and foremost, it's uh, it's staying in this division. They've, they obviously can't avoid. You know, they, they need to avoid the drop this year. Um, and I think the uh, takeovers come at the right time. Obviously, if that's all in place now, they've got six months and then the summer to maintain 
stability, hopefully, in this league for Barnsley. I know they're four points off the relegation zone at the minute, but I think they've got enough in them to stay in this division. Um, and, and I'm really, really intrigued. I know everyone needs a, a billionaire owner to come in and take over their club, but as Russ has touched on there, they've, they've come in and they've basically said that what what they're planning on doing is investing loads of money in the youth system. Yep. And, and, and that's what ultimately their their aim is to do and, and see how that progresses from there. And another good thing what's come out of it is they've said that they're looking to also give Heckingbottom another contract. And I think if they stick, you know, s- s- stick to the word and they do give Heckingbottom another contract, it's, it's, it's rightly so. It's, it's deserved because I think he's worked wonders at the club and, you know, even though where they are in the league at the minute, you could say that Barnsley are still overachieving, that they probably, you know, are a, a League One club on paper, dare I say it. But, you know, I think it's a great time to take them over. And, and like you've touched upon there, that the main thing they need to do now is just simply avoid the drop and then from next season push on from there, you know, whether that means finishing halfway the season after but if they're investing in in the youth system I'm really really intrigued to see what happens from there Yeah definitely I completely echo sort of the points that you two have made and I've just been obviously we touched on they need to first and foremost get clear of the relegation zone and then they can start to you know think about sort of where the money's going to go and, and things like that and looking back just sort of to see when when they last sort of won a game really their last two wins came against Burton and Birmingham which you know if they're beating teams around them in and amongst the relegation places you know that bodes well for them that you know obviously they can get out of sort of the the tough spot that they're in at the moment I obviously you never want to go down but I do think that you know, priority for them is to stay in the division. And I, while it wouldn't be a complete disaster to go down to League One, because obviously now they've got the money behind them, it's certainly going to be a bit sort of disappointing for the owner who's come in. So I think January especially is, you know, crucial for them. I think how they recruit over January, if they do, you know, stopping the slide and sticking with the manager and and really sort of not trying to change everything overnight. It's going to be a slow process for them. And, you know, teams like Birmingham, for example, you know, they've had owners come in in the past who've tried to change it overnight and get that immediate success. And, you know, they find themselves bottom of the table at the moment. So I think, as as you mentioned, Russ, if, he, if he's careful with his money, which he seemed to sort of talk a good game in the press conference, I think they can slowly build and then, It'll be interesting over the next sort of two, three, four seasons to, you know, keep an eye on it and see how they do sort of develop and, and what kind of team he turns them into. Um, but sort of the next thing I wanted to touch on, um, obviously there's games coming thick and fast over Christmas and, and you yourself, Lou, have uh, already previewed Sheffield Wednesday's game for, for the weekend coming up. Um, I thought we'd sort of be a bit more relaxed today um, and sort of talk about, you know, moments of the season so far and sort of how our seasons have gone as a whole. Um, I wanted to start sort of the first sort of bullet point I've got here on my notes is so our team's moment of the season so far. uh, So that'll be Preston, Sheffield Wednesday and Fulham and also our team's individual player of the year so far. And, you know, if you've got any other sort of moments or players that deserve a mention, you know, feel free to, to chip in with them. For me, the um, the moment of the season would probably be the match of the season against uh, Ipswich Town. And what's interesting about that is that uh, it really mirrored 
the last time we played Ipswich Town uh, at Portman Road, we dominated that match. And that made us all feel, as Fulham supporters, that we were on the right track. But again, this is going back to the beginning of the season. And that was the moment that we thought everything was going to kick on from there. And it obviously has not. So that's why I'm, I'm mentioning that as the moment of the season, along with that crazy Sheffield United victory that Fulham had where you saw Ryan Sessegnon just go crazy. And uh, that's, you know, th- th- that's a great moment as well. Player of the season is interesting because uh, I don't know if there has been a standout player. I was really thinking about this because is there one player that has stood out and the only thing that I can player that I really want to touch on is someone that I mentioned is the player of the season last season for me, and that was Kevin McDonald. Because without someone like Kevin McDonald uh, being that defensive midfielder shading that back four, uh, Fulham are in serious trouble, especially the way that Fulham play so aggressively. So unfortunately, there's no one up front that I really want to highlight. If, if I'm going to give a player of the season so far, it would probably have to be Kevin McDonald. The, the the other choice I was thinking about would be David Button, but the interesting thing about Button is that he's been replaced recently by Marcus Bettinelli, so I thought, well, I really can't go there. So the easy answer, guys, is that there really hasn't been a standout player. So I'm going with someone that has been consistent, and that would be Kevin McDonald. For me, it's... Um... It's a similar story to Russ, to be honest. Obviously, our league form's been very, very poor. We're sat 15th in the league. Um, if I'm to pick a moment of the season, uh, you know, there's only really three wins this season that stand out for me, and that's home to Leeds when we won 3-0, and that was a convincing win. We beat your team, obviously, Russ, 1-0 yep. away at Fulham, which was a great victory at the time. But the moment of the season for me, I'm going to pick the screamer uh, by Adam Reach, his goal against Aston Villa, which won um, the goal of the month. And for me, that was the best away victory this season because we pretty much, for about 45, 50, 60 minutes, dominated that game. And he scored after 12, 13 seconds. And then that set us on our way to, obviously, that victory away at Villa. And I think most of the Wednesday fans at the time... um, probably didn't predict a Wednesday win away at Villa because that was when, obviously, Villa were flying and and they're currently fifth in the league. So that, for me, is probably the moment of the season. Um, It's disappointing, really, that that is the only particular moment that stands out for me. Um, There's there's not many more, if I'm honest. But if we're talking about player of the season, again, it's it's difficult because we are underperforming and underachieving at the moment. Two players for me in the Sheffield Wednesday squad can, you know, hold their head up high and and, and that would be Gary Hooper and Barry Bannon for me. Uh, They're the only two really. Everyone else, I'd say, has been very, very average um, and pretty much disappointing. Hooper is, I I mean, you you all know I talk about him a lot because I'm a huge fan of Hooper. He's the type of player, you know, give him two opportunities in a game and he'll score score one goal. He's, He's that type of player and He's got 10 league goals, I believe, this season, a couple of assists and three man of the match awards. And, and Bannon, he's, he's found, you know, the, the form again that, you know, everyone's talked about in the past. You know, he's been linked with other clubs or was in the summer. Um, and Bannon's, he can, you know, he can, he can turn defence into attack. He's, he's got a great passing range. Um, he's only got a couple of assists this season, but 
that doesn't, you know, prove how well he has played this season because at times he has been instrumental and, and, and without Bannon and Hooper this season, I'm, I'm being serious, I think we, we will be touching the relegation zone um, because, yeah, other, other than those two, we, like I mentioned, we have been very, very average this season. So they're the two for me that stand out um, and moment of and, and moment of the season is is, is Reach's goal. Um, but as you, you, I think you touched upon it there, Russ. Um, I know we, we were looking at discussing game of the season, and and for me, yep. <laughs> the one what stands out is obviously Fulham's victory away at Sheffield <laughs> United. Yeah, that that five four wow. win, which uh, I crazy. know you touched upon, and and. There was another game what I really enjoyed watching only a few weeks ago, and I don't know if you remember, but do you remember Hull City were 2-0 up against Bristol City, and Bristol City came back to win 3-2, yeah. I believe Flint, Reed and Brownhill scored uh, the goals in the last 30 minutes, so that's another game of the season that stands out for me. Uh, yeah, the, the, the two hat-tricks, Sessignon and Leon Clark for <laughs> Sheffield United in that 5 4 victory for Fulham was just... It, it just stands out. I mean, how often do you get two players scoring a hat-trick in one game for, for different clubs as well? That that was unbelievable. Um, yeah. But yeah, it, it's funny because what also stands out, I, I remember obviously Leon, Leon Clark scoring those four goals in 35 minutes against Hull as well, which was a 4-1 victory on the day for Sheffield United. And, and you know, you probably know that I don't like talking about Sheffield United <laughs> too much. But... <laughs> <laughs> no. But they're, the, they're a couple of moments what stand out for me. Obviously, the Fulham victory and, and Clark scoring those four goals yep. was, you know, un- unbelievable. So uh, they're all my moments and, and games of the season so far. Okay, can, yeah. can I just mention one, one other yeah, go go on. game of the season, uh, James? And, and it's it's going to be, a, I guess you could say, maybe a strange one to most people, but I'm going to touch on it because I think it shows how tough this league is. And, uh, it just recently happened and it was Wolves and, uh, and Sunderland playing to a nil-nil draw. Now you're probably going to say, why would that be a game of the season? It's a game of the season because you're talking about the team that's at, at the top of the league and the team that's near the bottom and the team near the bottom playing with 10 men at one point finds a way about to get a point. Wolves, aren't we? Sorry, Russ. I think you mentioned yes. Leeds there. It was Wolves. Oh, I'm and sorry. I, I thought, I thought I said Wolves. <laughs> It might be me that's being wrong. I'm not, I'm not sure. Jay, Jay, we'll, okay. we'll leave this debate down to James. Yeah, I'll okay. have to answer it afterwards. Yeah, when I listen back, <laughs> I'll sit on the fence for now and uh, and let you two sort of uh, sort of argue it out. Yeah. No, my point on on the uh, Wolves uh, Sunderland match was just that it just shows how even the league is that that even someone as dominant like Wolves can struggle against a team like Sunderland who is just trying to find a way to f- get their identity, stay in the league at this point, and build from that point on. And for there to be no goals and to play with 10 men, I, I wanted to give Sunderland a little props there. And uh, that's why I wanted just to mention it. It's not a not a sexy game for, for match of the year, but I think it just <laughs> showed how difficult the league is. Yeah, it's um, been a weird one sort of listening to you two speak I think on the the first show we did at the start of the season where we we touched on um obviously who's favorites for promotion and relegation your two teams are the two teams that I tipped to be one and two in the uh the division so it, it, 
it's sort of it's proof that you know football's not sort of one on paper and it's it's been quite a weird one for us this season um in respects to the league obviously we had that horrendous november which saw us fall out of the playoffs and i think at one point we had 10 first team players out injured i think eight of them were defenders which you know, you can talk about squad depth all you like, but if you sort of any team in the world, even a, a Man City or, you know, a Madrid or a Barcelona, you take eight defenders out of their team and, you know, that's for us. And, you know, we've we've started to kick on again. And in in the, the good run that we were in before all the injuries happened, I think my personal moment of the season, or firstly, because I was at the game and it's it's probably a perfect example of how poor we can be, but also how brilliant we can be is the, the game at Birmingham City earlier this season. Um, first half, worst half of the season, without a doubt, you know, offered absolutely nothing and we go in 1-0 down at the break and whatever Alex Neal said to the players, you know, um, sort of over the course of the 15-minute half-time interval, you know, worked wonders and we came out in the second half and I think, and it might just me being biased, but I genuinely think if we'd have played anyone in the division, home or away, and played like we did for the the 20 minutes after half time, that we would have blown any team away. Um, sort of thinking back, and we were talking about it after on the train home. I sort of struggled to think of a sort of a 20 minutes from a Preston standpoint that's been as good as that. Um, the only one we could think of was when we played Arsenal in the FA Cup last season, where. We should have, you know, again, me being biased, should have easily been 3 or 4 nil up at half-time. And, you know, ultimately we ended up losing the game 2-1 to two second-half goals. But I think personal moment of the season, definitely Birmingham away. Um, you know, took a load of fans down, great atmosphere. And it was almost a perfect away day, uh, sort of in that respect. Um, you know, other good moments this season... We've uh, we've had some great wins at home against, you know, we've beat, obviously, bring it up, Louis, we beat you at home on the opening day. That was great for us, uh, sort of set the tone for the season. Um, yeah, we've we've not recovered, James, simply. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm being serious. We literally haven't, I don't think, recovered from then. We've, we've, we were average that day and we have been ever since, so. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. 
Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I, I always say on this podcast that I feel more confident going into away games. But recently, you know, we beat um, Sheffield United at home and other teams in the top half. And we're really starting to turn Deepdale into a fortress again now, which, you know, if, if you win all your home games and pick up points on the road, which we are doing, you know, you are going to be there or thereabouts. And we're not too far outside the playoffs at the moment. Um, we've got a game at home, which I'll touch on later, against Nottingham Forest at the weekend, which, you know, when that game results go your way. And I think we're a point outside the relegation zone going into Christmas where, you know, the game's come thick and fast. So uh, I'd like to say the table sort of now as it is the day we're recording this. Um, if you look at it now and then look at it on, say, the 3rd of January on the FA Cup weekend, it'll be completely different. Um, you know, Wolves will probably still be at the top, but I think the top sort of eight teams chasing will, will, you know, switch around quite a bit over the course of the next few weeks. So, um, you know, win our away games and win our home games or, you know, pick up sort of draws, we'll, we'll be there or thereabouts. But touching on player of the season, personally, for me, and it's funny that the interviews come out today. Um, I'm going to say Ben Pearson for us. Um, and I know I've spoke to you two in the past. I think Russ especially is... Uh, sort of noted that we're quite a sort of a pressing team and I've always said that you know we're a pressing team but we have this stigma that we're you know a really sort of physical and and dirty side and I've always stuck up for Ben Pearson and uh, you know the the club really very good player James he's a very good player yeah absolutely love him and uh, I'll I'll have to find the quote Um, the club released um, an interview with him today where he's come out and basically said that um Rather than scoring a goal, the thing that he enjoys the most on a football pitch is a sort of a hard 50-50 tackle. Um, and that they were talking about a game at home last weekend um, and he said it's nice to be able to smash into someone fairly and not get booked. Which, you know, <laughs> coming from your, your sort of defensive midfielder um, who's sort of there to break up the play, it's... Um, you know, it's great to see. And those comments have gone down, as you can expect, really well with our fans and not so well with other <laughs> teams' fans. Um, and I've likened him in the past to, you know, like a Gary Neville or a Jamie Carragher. If he plays for your team, you absolutely love him. If he plays for someone but you else, need, you absolutely You need players like that, James. You, you need, yeah, you know, I, I'm talking about Cam McDonald. You need players like that. Yeah, and... I think, and sort of, I've had sort of people mention it that you know people listen to this podcast to uh, find out about players that they're linked with. So I'm going to have to stop bigging Ben Pearson up as much as I do because I think <laughs> the games where he's been suspended this season, you know, the difference is massive. Um, he's there to break up the play. He gets us, you know, he makes us tick in midfield. He he sort of does two or three midfielders' jobs all by himself. Um, and I do think he's probably our most irreplaceable player at the moment. Um, you know, with other players that have done brilliantly so far, like Hugh Gill, obviously Ben Davies at the back has been fantastic. Um, and then Josh Earl and Sean Maguire, who unfortunately at the moment are both out injured with sort of longish term injuries. Um, but yeah, it's it's been sort of unusually positive for me this season. I thought when we started the season, it'd be, you know, how we finished the last two seasons, 11, bang average season with the odd highlight here and there. But, you know, fair play to Alex Neal has come in, taken sort of all of us by surprise. And, you know, it's it's been quite an exciting season so far. So, you know, long may it continue over Christmas and into the new year. 
Um, but obviously, I touched on it there, and uh, the next thing I wanted to ask you was, um, and we were chatting about this off-air, dark horses for promotion and relegation. Obviously, I'd love it to be Preston, um, and I don't think either of your teams will, will go down. I think you'll be more towards the promotion pick to come the end of the season and after sort of the January transfer window. But each year, if you've got sort of a team that not many people would expect to either go up or go down, or if you've got one for both, you know, feel free to sort of chip in. Okay, I'll start. And I'll say my dark horse for promotion, and this might surprise some, it's going to be Bristol City. I, I didn't see this coming. And uh, when Fulham played Bristol City, I, I, I saw a team that on paper is not as talented as Fulham, but are playing for the manager, playing as a, as a true team. Everyone knows their roles. They are tough to beat. So that is the team that I think is the dark horse to win promotion, Bristol City. Look out for that team because they actually have a lot going for them. And uh, Lee Johnson's doing a very good job. On the other side, if I had to say a dark horse for uh, for relegation, I'm going to throw this out there. I'm going to say Hull City. I'm going to you know, and again, I could be wrong on this. Um, because they could be turning it around at this point. I, I don't think it's going to be Sunderland. I think it could be Hull City. I'm just going to throw it out there that um, I think they're dealing with that uh, that hangover from coming down from the Premier League, and that adjustment is difficult. And I think this time around, they're struggling. They are the dark horse team that no one is really talking about that could be in danger. For me, I'll start at the top. Um, I've got a few dark horses, if I'm honest. So I think for automatic promotion, that the biggest dark horse would is I'm going to just stick with Cardiff. And I know that they're second. Um, and I love Bristol City. I'd love to see them go up. But I think, you know, sometimes, as we know, that the League Cup can be disruptive and just beat Man United. And then obviously they're going to take on Man City, etc., etc. So I'm, I'm going to stick with Cardiff, and I believe they'll go up automatically. Um, but if I'm picking a dark, dark horse who aren't even in the top six at the minute, I am, again, I'm, I think that your team can do it, James. And I'm not, again, just saying that because it's you. I really think <laughs> that they could be literally, after 46 laps, there's 22 gone at the minute, I think they could just sneak into that sixth position and potentially, once you, as... Me and Russ both know once you hit that run of form after 40 games and you, you win four or five on the bounce with six remaining, it's the it's the form team that tends to go up generally. Um, but I'm going to contradict myself a little and say that the team that I think will go up from the playoffs this season is Derby County. I think okay. they're slowly, slowly progressing, getting stronger, starting to play free-flowing, attacking football. I mentioned this on a previous pod, and I think that Derby County are the, the team to watch out for. They could even get close to the top two. I don't think they'll quite do it, but I think Derby County, for me, will be the team what um, go get up through the playoffs this season. Um, down at the bottom, I'm going to give a slightly different opinion to what Russ has said, and I think the that there isn't any dark horses for relegation, if I'm honest. I think the three, what are at the bottom three now, will stay there. So that's Burton, Albion, Bolton and Birmingham. I really think, I've got a different opinion to Rust, that I think yeah. Hull City and Sunderland will continue to climb now. I really think that they've made a change at the right time. Obviously, with Adkins and Coleman, we've seen, obviously, a 
Sunderland have, have come into a bit of form. Uh, they've drawn one and won one. Um, Hull are still win one, lose one type. Um, but I think they'll slowly, slowly climb the table. I think Barnsley will just pretty much stay where they are, as will QPR, Millwall, etc. So, yeah, I, I'm just going to say that the three what are at the bottom now, I think I don't see any of them improving, and, and I just think all those three will go down, or all the teams beginning with B. <laughs> I'll tell you what, sort of listening to you both talk about Preston, it, it, it's a bit surreal, but I... Um, I think definitely if uh, if Preston went up this season, couple that with a um, a World Cup summer as well, I do think that I'd need someone else to uh, host a podcast probably for about the first month for next season <laughs> while I uh, I got rid of the hangover. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously we're and it does make me laugh on Twitter when we beat you know teams like we obviously we beat um, Sheffield and uh, Sheffield United, sorry. Um, last weekend and granted they've only come up from League One last season and it's been the same when we've beaten other sort of so-called big teams in the division this season that you get all their fans on Twitter saying you know Preston North End we should be beating teams like that and I think slowly we're starting to to earn that right not as a big team but a team that people should take seriously and I think over the last couple of seasons where we've mounted not a serious playoff charge but we've been there or thereabouts and at the end of the season we've slowly faded off again um you know people have overlooked us so I think this season definitely we're going a long way to you know sort of breaking that sort of image or perception that people have about us as a mid-table team that's punching above their weight you know we've got a great young squad and you know, there's always one team that sort of comes, not necessarily out of nowhere, but sort of from about eighth or ninth and puts a run together, like you said, Louis. So, you know, why why couldn't it be us this season? Um, I think looking at the table, and I'll probably be completely wrong with this. As I said, I had your two teams to be top two at this stage and, and to continue that throughout the season. Um, looking at the table, um, it'll be interesting to see how they carry on. Um Ipswich, you know, they're only two points outside the um, the playoff place at the moment. And, you know, who would have thought that at the start of the season? Um, Benjamin, who we get on sometimes, and I was chatting to him the other week on Twitter, he's always going on about how they're, you know, the most boring team in the league. Um, they'd finish mid-table, kind of how we were the last few seasons, and I expected it to be for us this season. But fair play to them, you know. They've, um, they've only drawn two games, and we say most weeks it's better to to win and then lose one as opposed to you know draw two on the bounce and even though you're unbeaten you're not picking up the same amount of points and you know they've gone about their work kind of how we were um sort of unnoticed you know they're only a point behind Leeds two points behind Sheffield United and Villa and if they can sustain that and then as you said Louis put a run together the last sort of four or five games you know they could find themselves sort of creeping into the playoffs. Um, I think the other sort of, not necessarily dark horse now, because I think everyone's seeing that they have got a very good team um, to get promotion is Bristol City. Um, And, you know, it's easy to say that because they beat Man United last night and they're in the cup semi-final. But I think they'll be sort of there or thereabouts in the playoff. Um, As you mentioned, Louis, it'll be interesting to see how the, the distraction of the League Cup is. Yeah, and I whether think, they take uh, their eyes sort of off I, the ball. I was ball. just going to say, uh, I think Bristol City are probably the best team to watch as well in the league, if I'm honest. When I've watched Bristol City, they've, they just simply go out, fear nobody. And, you know, 
just continuing to win games and they play some really, really good attacking football and they've only lost three games, I believe, all season. So yeah. I take my hat off to Bristol City. Yeah, they're doing really, really well. Yeah, definitely. And I think at the start of the season, not many people would have fancied them to be, you know, where they are um, at the moment. Same with Derby. Derby, you know, they're a sort of quite a big team in the league. You know, they've had history in the Premiership before and they always seem to be there or thereabouts. But every time I look at the table, it kind of surprises me how high up they are because we've been talking about the likes of Wolves, Cardiff, Sheffield United and Derby, even though they're fourth at the moment and only two points off third, have gone largely unnoticed really um so the only time sort of i really hear about them and it may be completely different for, for you two is um when um we're talking about them on the podcast from time to time you know you never see them really mentioned in the media as sort of a team that's gonna go up and they've been there or thereabouts the last few seasons and just narrowly missed out so i think they could be one to, to keep an eye on, especially over sort of the next few months to see how they come out at Christmas and, and the end of January. Um, but moving on to the, the bottom, I think similar to you, Louis, I, I think personally the bottom three as they are at the moment will be the bottom three come the end of the season, sort of barring any massive collapses from, you know, any of the teams that are starting to pull away a little bit now. Um there's sort of a bit of a gap opening up between sort of the teams in 18th upwards and then sort of the five teams at the bottom. Um, I think if you'd have asked at the start of the season, I would have said that, you know, a surprise to go down would have been Birmingham. I don't think many people thought that they would be as bad as they have been. Um, so in that respect, you could say that they were sort of like an unfancied pick to go down. I think we all sort of agreed at the start of the season that Bolton and Burton would be down there. Um, Burton did fantastically well last year to stay up, but I, you know they just don't have the resources or the the depth of squad to you know sustain sort of in the championship unless they you know do manage to sell a few players for sort of quite a high amount or they get taken over. Um, you know, no, don't take anything away from them. Did absolutely fantastic last season, but it's sort of that old cliche second season syndrome, you know, and they found themselves in the relegation zone. Bolton, you know, coming up last season, they're always going to be sort of there or thereabouts. I think Birmingham are, even though they've been poor, sort of the surprise package really that are, that are in the bottom. Um, but I do think that, you know, as I said, barring any collapses or one of those teams putting, a, you know, a, a fantastic run together, I think that will be the bottom three come the end of the season. Um I just wanted to sort of touch as well. I haven't got this down on our running order that we were sort of going through, but as, as we've been going and we've kind of all touched on it a little bit, obviously I've talked about how Preston need to sustain how we have been this sort of started the season. Um, and you two have sort of talked about how you need to sort of put a run together and, and move up the table. Um, obviously, January transfer window opens in, you know, just over a week or so now. Is there a particular sort of area that you need to sort of highlight in the transfer window to to improve your yes. fortunes? Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> or, is it, or is it a combination of needing players in, but also the players that you've got at the moment not performing? Position for me. Position, 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 and they are... Striker, left back, and center back. Those are the three positions of need. Uh, left back, like you guys, we were all talking about this off air that, uh, I believe the Fulham need a left back so they could 
move Ryan Sessegnon to midfield. And, uh, and I think that's what they're looking for. I truly believe that. But they desperately, and I mean desperately need someone that could put the ball in the back of the net on a consistent basis. Uh, they have two players that are trying hard in Rui Font and Abubakar Kamara. But in this division, you need consistency. You need someone that you can count on. They don't have that right now. So that's what they're missing. And, and, uh, I do think in certain matches, they need, uh, a taller physical center back, which they really don't have. So that's why for me, for Fulham, it's those three positions. Uh, for me, it's every player on the field at the minute, isn't it? Really? <laughs> um, it, no, if, if I'm serious, um, I just, I, we, we've got, we've got about four centre backs. I really just wish though we could go out and buy, and I keep mentioning it, but I really want a big solid defender in at the club who just kicks the ball into touch at that moment where other defenders make a mistake, if that makes sense. I'd, I keep talking about him, but I would love a player like Aidan Flint at Sheffield Wednesday. Just someone who's solid, you know, is confident. And like I say, at those key moments, he'll just, even if it means taking a yellow card for the team, he'll just stop an attack at any given moment. And, and that's the type of defender I'd like at the club. Whether we bring a defender in, I'm not sure. Where I think it's more essential at the minute is we need somebody with pace on the right wing. I mean, we've got, everyone's probably forgot about George Boyd. We actually signed George Boyd in the summer. Um, he, he's only played a handful of games this season, but he's he's been out and I expect him to be back in January. But even George, George Boyd's not got loads of pace and, and what and Ross Wallace has you know he's he's not performing to the best of his ability this season as he has done in the last few years. So it wouldn't surprise me if we if we look at the wings but if we do I think it'll be bringing somebody in on loan, just one player. Um but the other one like you've talked about other than players when it gets to January, will we, will we swap managers? I don't know. I can't see it happening simply because I don't think the chairman's going to sack Carvajal because obviously his, his contract's up in the summer anyway. Uh, I mentioned it on the podcast last week, but the only way that I see him going is if Carvajal resigns. But I've stuck to my word and I'm saying that I still think Sheffield Wednesday need a change in management now. Uh, I think now would be a great time but I just simply don't see it happening. Yeah, I think for sort of Preston in the transfer window, I think um, sort of in terms of personnel on the field at the moment, we're absolutely fine. Um, but as I've said all season, I think we're one or two players short. Um, we've already signed Louis Malt from Motherwell on a, a pre-contract who's a striker, um, sort of similar to Hugill, um, but has a bit more of that ability to run in behind. So, Hopefully we see them play together and we manage to keep Hugh Gill in January. Um, I think that's sort of the big must for us. I know you'd love him at Fulham, um, Russ. But, you know, <laughs> personally, I hope I hope we keep him and I can see yeah. sort of Malt and Hugh Gill playing up top together. Because um, I do think we need another forward. Obviously, Maguire's out injured till about March and Barcusa and Robinson and Harrop are all sort of wingers attacking midfielders. So... We are quite light as sort of backup for Hugill. We've got Doyle out on loan at Oldham, who looks sort of like he's going to be sold. We sold Stevie May in the, the transfer window in the summer and never replaced him. So hopefully we can get Malt in and play him with Hugill as opposed to be a replacement for Hugill. Um, I think the club have not directly come out and said, but it's been reported that they want another three players in sort of as well as Malt. 
Um, I think definitely another centre-back is probably priority. Um, we've had trouble there all season and Clark and Huntington, who are sort of our first choice, you know, you could throw Ben Davis in there as well because he's been, you know, fantastic this season. Um, sort of after those three, you've got Andy Boyle, who's only played sort of two or three games for us. Looks like he could do with a loan out to maybe a League One club um, to get a bit of experience. He's still a young lad. And then after that's Tom Spur, who, you know, is more of like a utility defender. He's a, a left back who can also play centre back and right back. So I think another sort of centre back, same as you said, um, Louis, who can, you know, just get the ball, no nonsense, get rid of it. Similar to Huntington, really. Um, sort of a, a direct replacement for him if, you know, he gets injured, it'd, it'd be high on my shopping list. Um, and then the only other position really that I'd, I think we need strength in is sort of a box-to-box midfielder. Um, we've got Alan Brown who can do that, but, you know, injuries are a thing. And if he gets injured, we don't have another player who can do that. Um, we've got Paul Gallagher and John Welsh who can both come in and do a job. You know, they're both getting on at the moment. Or at the moment, they are getting on. Um both been absolutely fantastic servants for the club, but you know, if if you want to progress in the championship, and we've talked about promotion, you need sort of to not really hold on to sort of sentiment. You know, they've been fantastic, and while they still have a place in at the club, I do think that you know they could do with another player in there to provide different options. So they'd be the two that I'd sort of look to get in. Um, as far as outgoings, there's not really anyone. We don't have a, a massive squad. Maybe, as I mentioned, Boyle at the back could do with a loan. And O'Connor, who's a left-back that we've got, could both do with loans out. Um, but, you know, apart from that, a couple of players in, and I'll be more than happy if we can keep hold of Hugh Gill. Um, even though it would be nice to get about sort of 10 million for him, uh, you know, it's whether it'd be invested back into the club or not, um, especially sort of to the playing staff. So it'll be interesting to see how it goes over the transfer window. But, you know, we're not a million miles off. One or two additions all sort of definitely help. And as far as sort of aspirations go and wanting to get into the top six, I think keeping older Hugh Gill is, is sort of priority number one. So, will be interesting to see how it goes. And I'm sure if he's still with us come sort of deadline day, I'll be sitting there watching it quite nervously um, as I was sort of in the summer. So it'll be uh, certainly an interesting month and no doubt I'll sort of each week on the podcast have something to say about it. Um, but before we uh, sort of wrap it up and get into sort of little predictions for the sort of the festive period, you brought this up earlier, Russ, um, about a way support in the league and, and how it's viewed. Yeah. Um, obviously you were the one who brought it up so I wanted to start with you first I saw, I think it was either today or last night on Twitter, you were tweeting about how Fulham are away again over Christmas um, Yes, and they're kind of seen as the afterthought to Chelsea really um, Yeah, and yeah. exactly exactly. and that was part of what I want to talk about, uh, the away support this is uh, Fulham's fifth season of uh, being away on, on Boxing Day, which I just think is wrong. It's it's wrong. Uh, and it really, if I'm being honest, I truly believe it comes down to the priority being Chelsea. I understand that to a point, but when it's five years in a row, there's something wrong here. There's something just not right. Uh, that the fact that all these supporters who love the club and love Boxing Day have to travel five years in a row. It's just wrong. And on top of it, after that, the following Saturday, 
Fulham are, are heading up to Hull City. So think about that. They're going to Cardiff City, and then they're going uh, a few days later to Hull City. I mean, th- again, the league needs to think out these uh, uh, these fixtures a little bit better uh, because that is just way too much of a distance between those two fixtures for Fulham and their supporters to go back and forth like that. But the reason why I wanted to bring up this topic of away support is it's something that I see a good amount on Twitter, guys, and I want your thoughts on this, is that uh, I think some supporters of other teams view away support as a gauge of how much your team actually supports itself. And it's one factor, and uh, Fulham's away support has gotten much better, and I think part of it is is that now we're in the championship. When it was in, when uh, Fulham were in the Premier League, the uh, the uh, away form was so bad for so many years. I think it definitely affected how many fans would, would go away. But the thing that gets me, guys, and this is what my whole crux of wanting to talk about this is that I think away support is one factor in supporting a team. Another factor is fans like myself. Fans that that go to the, you know that that have season tickets. They're all different factors of of support of a football club. It's not just away, but it seems like there's so much emphasis put on away support. And I understand it to a point. There are some teams like like both of yours that have tremendous away support, and you should be, you know. And again, you, you should get get definite kudos for that. But my club is, again, of course, of a long period of time, there are many reasons why the support is not at the level of both of your clubs away. But it doesn't mean that Fulham does not have uh, a, a very rabid supporter base, because they do. It's just it's a global one, and it's not just about going to the away matches. That's kind of where I was going, James, talking about away support. I think it's important, but it's just one part of supporting a team. Well, I'll, I'll go next. I, I've, I firstly, uh, Russ, I didn't realise that um, this will be the fifth season in a row where Fulham, Fulham have travelled away on, on Boxing Day. Um, so I understand your frustrations in that sense. Um, having said that, an away day, for me, the, the, the best days, um, and, and I don't just necessarily mean on Boxing Day because I, I feel your pain, but an away day for me, you know, it's all about the jubilation when you do come away with a victory. You make a day of it. You probably drink more than you should do. Um, it's very high rate. And when you do take those three points, as James knows, because I know he, go, he goes home and away to most of Preston's games, that there's, there's no better feeling coming away from an away day when you've took all three points, especially if you was predicted to only come away with a loss or, or a draw. Um, having said that, touching on your point, Russ, um, regarding away following, I mean, I'm lucky, lucky enough to support a club where Sheffield Wednesday have always had fantastic support away from home. You know, tickets generally, when, when they travel away, run, run out pretty quickly. Um, but the other topic we could talk about, and I, I believe this is the main problem, is that away supporters are just rinsed of cash. Um, I know they're trying to, you know, they did it, I believe, in the Premier League, didn't they, where they put a cap on the pricing. And and Sheffield Wednesday um, and, and teams like that are, I know that we're rinsing 
fans coming to Hillsborough, 35, 40 pound, 45 pound a game. And for me, this day and age, it's, it's atrocious. That, those kind of prices should be Premier League prices. And, and we're, we're a championship club. And yes, I obviously, I know our chairman wants to get some return of investment and he, he, he can effectively charge whatever prices he wants, whatever he wants. But when you've got lower, with no disrespect to these clubs, but when you've got teams like Burton and Barnsley come into Sheffield Wednesday, why, why should they be paying £40 a ticket to come and sit at Hillsborough? And then they've also got, obviously, travel included in that, whether it's train yeah. or fuel and then and then food, obviously, as well. So every away day for me, when I think of an away day and I go to away games, straight, straight away in my head, I think that's £100 straight away, you know, without question. Obviously, a ticket and travel straight away. And and for me, that is the ultimate problem. Um, I think that there should be a cap in the championship. And I think if you saw that cap around the 25 to £30 mark, I think that every away, you know, end in every stadium in the championship would be pretty much full. And like you say, it's wrong because straight away when I go to Hillsborough, when I'm sat in the north stand, I do look to the right and I look how many fans have travelled from, you know, X, Y, Z in the country. And, and you do look at it as a gauge. But the problem is those fans support their club as much as anybody else. The ones what, you know, I generally tra- travel away to away games up and down the country, whether it's a one hour drive or a five hour drive, you know, They've got their right to be there, but I just don't think they should be paying the prices that they are doing. Um, and I think that is ultimately the problem, whether you've got a big, fa- a, a huge fan base like Leeds United have or Sunderland have, or a smaller fan base like I mentioned, Burton Albion. They, they should still be filling away ends by char- charging cheaper prices, if that makes sense. Louis, I, I totally agree with you, and that's a factor in all this as well. I'm glad that you said that. And I have huge amount of praise for all of these away supporters of all these teams that, that make, make this uh, journey wherever they go. I think it's a huge part of the game, and they should be applauded for it. I, I think my point in all of this is that you just brought up a point that maybe there would be higher numbers if the pricing was different. I agree with that. But I just want to look at it this way, is that if, say, your club brings a, a huge amount and, say, Fulham don't bring bring half of that, I don't think the fans that come there should should be looked at any differently than the fans that brought double. Uh, they deserve the same amount of, uh, you know, thought and praise because I think it's – I think it's a lot to to go on these away um, trips, and uh, and there are so many foam supporters that do it. They just don't go it go in as some huge numbers as some other clubs, and there are major factors for that. Yeah, and you just I, brought I, up price. I, I think it's difficult because not only is I, I know price is obviously a massive issue, and and like you say, I, I don't ever when when you get away fans and whether there's. 100 fans sat there or there's 5,000 of them sat there. You know, they, I applaud them for turning up and supporting their club, whatever, yeah. whatever the result. But the other issue as well is, um, and as we all know, is TV rights. So obviously another topic we could talk about is simply when, I mean, as I know, Sheffield Wednesday have been on Sky recently uh, about three times over the last four weeks and 
the, the crowds, obviously, other than season ticket holders, people wouldn't go to those games as well as because they can simply watch it in the warmth at home on TV. So that's another right. factor. Um, oh, and, I'll, and, and I'll hold my hands up and say the last game that we played against Wolves where we lost 1-0, I decided not to go to the game because I wanted to just simply watch it, you know, Friday night, freezing cold, and I thought, right. you know what, I'm just going to stay in and, and watch that one at home. Um, so there's another issue. But if I'm honest, I hold my hands up again. I, I don't know the answer, to be honest with us. I really don't. I don't know whether they should introduce something where if you are an away fan and you are going to a game, particularly if it's over a two-hour travel time, maybe your transportation should be included in, in the cost of the ticket. Yeah. I, I don't know. But that's the only thing that I can really think of. But I really understand your point. They, they should be filling, both home and away fans, they should be filling yeah. the ground up. Um, so, yeah, it's a, it's a difficult one, but I, I don't know the actual ultimate answer to it. I think quickly as well to touch on your point, Russ, about um, how sort of fans are viewed. I, I can't remember how many years ago exactly, but I got given a ticket to Man City, which is only down the road from me, played Fulham in the League Cup. Um, it's going back sort of a, probably about eight or nine years. And I think on the night, you know, Tuesday night all the way up to Manchester, I think Fulham only took about two or three hundred people, but yeah, that two or three hundred people made more noise than I got a ticket. Then to the next round, can't remember for the life of me who Man City played, but they filled their entire allocation in the away end. And those three hundred Fulham fans made more noise <laughs> on that night than. But that's my point, whichever, James. Yeah, that's, and I think that's my point. It's not always the numbers; it's the it's the devotion, it's the dedication, and I think I think uh, there are people out there that. Look at the numbers and say, okay, this is about the support of the club. And I, and I disagree with that because you just mentioned a, a great example. It could be 300 of them, but the 300 can make a, a huge amount of noise. And, and uh, I'm glad that you brought that up. Yeah, it's um, Preston sort of – it's a bit different for us. We're quite sort of well-supported away, but at home we're slap-bang in the middle of, you know, you've got the two Manchester clubs, you've got – Liverpool, you've got Everton. So if they're ever on TV, sort of lunchtime or the late kickoff, it really sort of affects our crowds with with people sort of staying at home to watch those. And Preston sort of, they only go to the Preston games because they live in Preston, for example. And I think one of the, not a problem for Fulham because you've got a massive fan base, but sort of especially people going to sort of away games uh, and that kind of thing is is the fact that you're sort of based in London and, you know, you've got your likes of Chelsea just down the road and, and your Tottenham's and, and your Arsenal's. And I think the the people who do go to Fulham games deserve sort of more credit than, you know, the people who go to, say, Chelsea, for example, because and sort of I, I get laughed at for supporting Preston North End by my mates who who support United and City and Liverpool and stuff. And, uh, you know, it's it's sort of... You, you do get a bit of stick almost for supporting a championship team uh, or a team lower down in the league. So I do think definitely that people who... Obviously, I'm not having a knock at Premier League fans because, you know, you support who you want. I think championship fans deserve as much respect, whether you take 300 or you take 3,000. Um for choosing, you know, your local team or a team that's sort of close to you and, and actually going to the games. And, you know, as you said, um, Louis, it's 
you play or sort of nine times out of ten you pay in Premier League prices for Championship football, and you know while the standard's still good at this level, it's not fair that you know people should pay that amount for for sort of the second tier. Really, you should be paying in effect second tier prices. Um, but you know we could go on for hours about that. Yeah, can I just touch on something you mentioned there, James? Um, yes. It's quite interesting because you just said that you get laughed at by your friends who support Man U, Man City, Liverpool, uh, yep. because you're a Preston fan. And one thing I want to put out there, and I say to all my friends, because all my friends support Liverpool, and they say to me, I mean, I live local to Sheffield anyway, and I've always supported Sheffield Wednesday since I was four-year-old, since 1991, basically, when we won the League Cup. Um, but when I get talking to people, they're like, well, they, they laugh at me about being a Sheffield Wednesday fan. And, and a lot of people obviously support the top, let's say, top six clubs in the Premier League now. But they don't understand those fans who support those clubs that you can still get the inner pride and jubilation supporting a team that's in a lower league because your expectations are different to those of Man United and Man City. So if, for example, Let's take Man United. They ultimately got knocked out of the League Cup against Bristol City. They finished second in the league. They say they get to the Champions League semi-final and get knocked out. Their expectations to win a trophy this season and they come away with nothing, then you're left just as disheartened and as, as I am now that Sheffield Wednesday are going to finish midway in the, in the championship. And it's only the same that applies. Those teams might be after a a cup, I'm after promotion. So what's the difference in success for me supporting Sheffield Wednesday if they were to get promoted and a fan who supports Man U or Man City winning a league title or a cup? Do you understand what I'm trying to say? It's yeah, all definitely. about expectation. Yeah, so at the minute, you are probably enjoying Preston North End's run being ninth in the league as opposed to a... What can we say? A Newcastle well, United fan who's struggling to stay up in the Premier League. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes complete sense. And it's funny, like all my family are Man United fans apart from me. And I think I'm enjoying football more at the moment than they are in their second in the Premier League. You know, they've been knocked out of exactly. the Exactly. That's and my point. That's, yeah. that's a, yeah, a great example to make. Um, the laughing, and it's not. I'm not going to make you re- or preview every single game that we've got over the festive period. I just wanted <laughs> one by one to read out who you've got over the festive period. And we'll revisit this uh, on the FA Cup weekend when obviously we've all had four league games from now. Um, I'll start with you first, Russ. You've got Barnsley at home, Cardiff away, yep. Hull City away, Ipswich at home. Quickly, uh, one word answer. I want a point prediction that you're going to come out <laughs> from those four games and we're going to see how close each of us are um, sort of come the other side of Christmas. Oh boy, I'm going with nine. Nine. Okay. I'm being bold here. I'm going with nine. I'm being bold. <laughs> um, and you, Louis, so you've got Middlesbrough at home, Nottingham Forest away, <laughs> Brentford away, and Burton at home. Louis? <laughs> Uh, four right. points. I'm going for four points. Four points. Fair, fair. And then Preston. Oh, I just realised how difficult our run is. So we've got Nottingham Forest at home. I think actually looking at it, we all play, I think, three of the same teams. So we've got Nottingham Forest at home, Barnsley away, Cardiff away and Middlesbrough at home. I'm going to 
stick my neck on the line and I'm going to say eight points. I reckon two wins and two draws. We'll win the two home games and we'll draw the two up. Yeah, we'll draw the two away games. Uh, so I'll go eight points. Um, but yeah, with that, we're out of time. Thought I'd end on sort of a little bit of fun there and we'll see how sort of far off we are or who gets it spot on. Um, and I'll, I'm have gonna to be think of a, I'll have to think <laughs> of a prize if any of us do get it spot on. I'll um, be happy if we get a minimum of four, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, cheers for joining me today, guys. I know obviously it's close to Christmas and, and everyone's dead busy, so really appreciate you both coming on. Um, if you want to let everyone know where they can find you or anything you're involved in, now would be a good time. Okay, well, you can follow me on Twitter at Russ underscore Goldman and at the uh, account for the uh, podcast Cottage Talk, simply Cottage Talk. And uh, you can also listen to the show on Apple Podcasts. Just put in Cottage Talk and you will get that. And also on blogtalkradio.com slash Cottage Talk. Yeah, so I'm Louis Shackshaft. You can find me on Twitter. It's just my name, uh, at Louis Shackshaft. Or you can visit my website. Again, my name, louisshackshaft.com. On there, you can find uh, my articles and blogs all about Sheffield Wednesday Football Club. Yeah, and you can follow me on Twitter, at underscore James Vickers, where I mainly tweet about Preston North End and Bundesliga, Borussia Dortmund, sort of all tied in together. Um, you can follow the show on our Twitter page, which is at Championship Pod. Definitely check that out. We've only set it up about a month ago. So, you know, we're still trying to sort of build it up. So definitely give it a follow. Um, yeah, as I said, cheers for joining me today, guys. It's quite busy over the festive period. So I appreciate you coming on. Uh, have a great Christmas and we'll see you soon. <laughs>